I'm Chris Nur, Chief Digital Officer of Cinity, a world leader in enterprise data software. And we're partnering with CDO Magazine, MIT CDO IQ, and the International Society of Chief Data Officers to bring you this ongoing series of interviews with thought leaders in data and analytics. Today, I have the terrific pleasure of talking with Wendy Batchelder, Chief Data Officer of VMware. Welcome, Wendy, great to meet you. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so, so let's jump right into it if we can. Um, you were, uh, after a, a, an interesting and distinguished career in, in various data fields, appointed Chief Data Officer in Q4 of last year. That's awesome, congratulations. Um, tell us a bit, what, what are you most excited about in this role and, and what's your vision for Chief Data Officer and for your organization? Yeah, great question, Chris. You know, it's it's tremendous to be the first chief data officer at VMware. Um, I'm really excited that the company has recognized the significance of data and analytics, and you know, is acknowledging that by you know appointing a chief data officer. I think that in and of itself is you know something to be excited about. Um, my vision for the company is to really become more data driven and being able to put forward you know consistent data metrics. Um, reporting and data products that will enable and empower the company to future success. Um, so really moving away from being more of an order taking organization into more of a, you know, a, an offensive organization is a transformation that I am just really excited to be at the forefront of and to be able to, you know, just help drive as a part of um, my role. Yeah, that that that's that's terrific, and I didn't actually realize that you're the uh, the, the first, so that's even better. And and I, I love it when I I see that you know kind of acknowledgement on the part of boards and executive management that this is a really important area um, to focus on. Maybe in in terms of your vision, um, I could just drill into that a little bit. When you talk about kind of moving away from you know the the IT order taking function into driving the business more. Is your focus um, more on top line growth for VMware, helping your customers with top line growth, or is it more oriented around, um, you know, kind of internal efficiency, resource allocation, working capital, internal P&L? Uh, I think this is a, kind of an interesting area of focus, you know, sort of, I'll call it growth versus cost efficiency and internal versus external focus. Yeah, Chris, it's a combination of both. Um, so I have um, within my organization, I have responsibility for data governance, quality, metadata, analytics and insights, data science, and also RPA. And so because of that, I think unique blend, we have the benefit of really looking at things from you know, a services perspective, how do we provide automation and just advanced capabilities for the organization to drive efficiencies and cost savings and, you know, just helping the company to be more efficient and effective. But on the other side, just serving up those, you know, next opportunity to, to buy propensity modeling. It just, there's so many opportunities for us to really help our customers to have the best product in their hands for their needs. Um, so we're really looking at, you know, both sides of that coin and how do we drive um, both top line growth, but also operational efficiency um, within the organization um, across all business units. So we're in, a, I think, a unique position to be able to see that end to end, um, which is, I think, some of the power of having a, you know, an enterprise data function. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's great to hear, and I completely agree. And I, I sort of go to that question right away because I, I feel that um, all too often 
you know, there's an, an, an emerging awareness of the importance of data, enterprise data management, but then it sort of devolves into, you know, how can I scrape a few more pennies? And I'm not demeaning that the cost efficiency is very important, but I think that especially in, in my view, as we're emerging into, uh, you know, hopefully this year, a post pandemic world, refocusing on on growth is going to be critically important. So it's it's great to hear that um, that that's you know part of your vision and, and part of your your brief. So Wendy, along those lines, um, there's been a, a lot of emphasis in 2020 and I think there will be going forward on on business outcomes and value delivery. And uh, you know kind of the the creation of visions of, of a vision, measuring that with outcomes and then measuring that with metrics. So maybe just double clicking on this growth story a little bit. Are there one or two, uh, you know, kind of business or value outcome programs and or metrics that you could share that are kind of part of your uh, emerging growth story as a chief data officer? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, part of my stepping into this role is really looking at things from like an OKR perspective. What are the objectives that we're really aiming to drive as an organization? How do we help influence and drive those business outcomes, like you mentioned? And then how do we measure that? And I think for a lot of data professionals, especially those who came from more of an IT perspective, that's harder to do. It's, I think, a unique skill set for a lot of deep data professionals to be able to translate that into true business impact. And that's where I see a lot of people um, almost struggle to be able to translate their value in, in terms of you know, that executive staff member or help them understand you know, the real practicality of delivering on these data solutions that you know, are near and dear to all of our, our hearts. Um, and so we have really spent a lot of time in the last really three months in translating you know, what are the company's objectives? How do those cascade into our objectives? How do we support those? And how do we measure that? So one area is around um, like customer renewals. Um, how do we speed that process up? How do we make things more efficient? And a lot of that comes down to stitching master data together with purchase history information and being able to make that more automated. Um, so just looking at those opportunities, one of the metrics we're looking at is that timeline. How do we make that speed of transaction faster? How do we improve that in terms of days? And then from there, you know, how do you shave off hours or even minutes in that transaction lifecycle to make the customer experience that much better? So we're able to see and look at customer experience and how that translates into things that we need to do to help empower the organization to move faster, better, with higher quality data and just better operational efficiency. That, that's that I, I love that example, and um, I, I share your experience with having um, you know in, in in a different way because we're an enterprise data company as well. Uh, there's a lot of change management and a lot of education to help data professionals, and I think as you know as leaders in the field, that's very important to focus on. You know, not just that we're kind of moving the bits and bytes or you know moving the master data, but that it actually translates into something tangible. And I think from a growth perspective, you know, I love that uh, that example of, you know, it's just making sure one that your customers have the right thing for their needs. And then also, you know, once you figure that out, not getting lost in the mechanics of getting that renewal done, which, you know, obviously in large companies that uh, there tends to be additions to cycle time, non-value added stuff, bureaucracy, and then just getting visibility to that. And what's nice is I, I'm, I, I, it sounds like there's a great alignment with your, uh, your commercial organization that that's something to focus on and that you, sort of a thread of alignment through all of that. So I think that's a, that's a terrific example. 
maybe to, to shift gears a little bit, there's a, a point um, career-wise that I think you might have a, a unique perspective on, which is that you, you came from the financial services industry mm-hmm. and now you're in the tech industry. And, and one of the things I, I feel like has been, uh, this is another maybe change management question. Um, I think confusing for folks in let's say, you know, traditional industries like financial services or manufacturing is you look at these tech companies and it seems like they sort of launch stuff into orbit really quickly and that, you know, old school industries, old school companies are, and I I don't mean that in a pejorative way, just that they've been around and it's sort of a different business model or struggling to catch up. Are are there a couple of leadership observations that now having done both, you could share with your former colleagues in in, uh, financial services or other traditional line industries, what you've learned from being an executive leader in the tech sector so that when everyone's sort of admiring that, is what they're seeing real? Is there a different way of thinking about it? What are what are some of the, the nuances or, or learnings there? Yeah, I think that's a wonderful question because there are some, you know, very, I think, stark differences between, you know, industries that are, I would say, more highly regulated in that there is a lot of boxes to check, compliance exercises to complete. Um, in the tech sector, it's not as rigorous. Now, there still are definitely requirements for compliance and privacy and whatnot, but there's not as much formality in some of the, you know, the mandates. You're not dealing with the OCC or the FRB or some of these other regulators that are so important to the financial services industry. So one piece of advice I would have for our financial services, you know, friends, if you will, um, is really thinking about the power of why. Why are we really working on these data priorities? Is it to check a box or is there a business value proposition that you know, I think, at least in my experience, sometimes gets pushed to the wayside? And so just really thinking about why are we doing these, you know, these different programs? How is that benefiting the user, the customer, and just always having that customer-driven lens um, that sometimes gets lost in the regulatory, you know, mandates or the drivers. Um, we certainly saw that in the data space with BCBS 239 and some of the other regulations that came up out of the financial crisis as being like the driver to data maturation and, and really thinking about it in terms of what is the user need and really thinking about why we're doing the, you know, the things that we are um, and not getting lost in that bureaucracy or that, you know, that extra governance that comes with just being, a, you know, a very highly regulated industry. I think in the tech sector, you see that you know, that more of that user experience, customer experience being the main driver. Um, And so just having that, you know, that shift in paradigm of really thinking about why we're doing these things, what is the real impact, Um, you know, not necessarily being to check a regulatory box, but because it makes life better. Um, And I think that's really important to keep in mind. And I and that's the distinction I saw coming into the tech sector is you really get to think about, you know, the value and not as much of the compliance aspect. Um, and I think that's really, really exciting as part of the driver for me to, to move into tech. I, I think that's a, that's a great insight. And I love that way of thinking about it. And I, I was in, um, uh, before I was in technology, I was in life sciences for a long time. So I had, you know, kind of a, a similar experience with the heavy, you know, heavy and appropriately so regulatory framework, but um, it, it, it just too often, I agree, kind of becomes an end in itself and you end up with the the tail wagging the dog. And, and I like that lens of you know, what's the customer experience or what's the business experience. The other thing that, 
a journey that we went through about 10 years ago was sort of thinking about um, compliance risk tiering. And, you know, what things are really important and absolutely need to be bulletproof as opposed to what things got kind of added on. And I think there's an interesting thought process where, you know, if you were to take your suggestion, kind of dimensionalize that with, you know, what's the compliance requirement? What's the risk profile? And then how does that attach to some customer value or customer experience? That's, a you know, an, an interesting way of, uh, of thinking about it. Um, let me let me go in in a slightly different direction if I, I can, and I'll, I'll sort of share with you first a, a mental model that I've had a long time on the concept of architecture. And I think VMware's got a a, a very interesting um, place in what I would consider an, an enterprise architecture. So when I think of architecture, I think of there's a physical architecture. So you have buildings. There's a social and people architecture. You have relationships. There's a, a legal entity, a tax regulatory architecture. There's a, obviously a business process architecture. There's an application architecture, which maybe is what most IT folks spend most of their time thinking about when they hear the word architecture. Underlying that, there's an infrastructural or what used to be called a hosting ar architecture. And then there's a data architecture. In, in thinking about this for, you know, probably 10, 15 years, I, I feel like the, the data architecture and data interoperability often get sort of short shrift and not thought of in, in looking at that overall architectural situation. So what, you know, where I think you may have an interesting dog in the fight here is that you part of your core value proposition is around app rationalization and the digitization of, of underlying technical infrastructure. W within that new set of capabilities that you bring to your customers, what, what's your perspective on, on, you know, how companies get data right or how companies get data wrong? Yeah, I think a lot of times we have this mindset that we have to physically move data together to get the value out of it. And I see that a lot in the data, you know, practice, if you will, in that, you know, we think we need to take copies of data or actually physically move it to a centralized area in order to be able to get what we need from it. And I think as we're seeing more um, things on the edge, um, more IoT type um, technologies emerging, a lot more data than we've ever seen before, that becomes a bit impractical. And I, I think it drives the importance of, you know, how do we glean that value and really understand our data um, in a way without having to move it? And so what I think we're going to see a lot more in the industry, both with our customers and, you know, internally, certainly with our own businesses, how do you govern and, and glean that value without moving the data? And I think that's going to increase the value proposition of metadata and really understanding what data you have where and really driving that almost that indexing um, capability of good, clear data definitions, understanding where all your customer information is and resides, how we protect it on the edge. So I think security will go through some sort of a, you know, continued maturation as far as how we protect data where it's captured even more so um, than in the past. And so I do think we'll see this more um, disparate uh, data architecture emerging and an increase in focus in how do we really get our arms around all of the data that exists across our organizations and being able to manage it there where it lives instead of having to bring it together to build you know whatever analytics or insights we need to run our companies so so I, that i think that's a really interesting insight and and i've i've 
thought about this and let me just replay some thoughts and, and I think it's aligned with what you're suggesting. So, so for a long time in, let's go way back to sort of the traditional EDW world, right? Sure. So there was kind of this idea of one-stop shopping and then the metaphor is like, well, we're going to build a department store and it's going to have everything, right? You, you go, you go in the door, you can, you know, buy everything from, you know, housewares to, uh, you know, to clothing, to food, metaphorically, where we're really ending up with is almost more of like a shopping mall mm -hmm. and then a sat set of satellite stores around it. So I, I agree with you that there's been this story for a long time that um, app rationalization and cloud and virtualization is going to make everything simpler. And I think to some extent, the opposite's been the case, right? That if you're a CIO or a CDO, actually it's getting more and more complicated. So it's sometimes what we would call like simplistically more data in more places, but the need to adjudicate and govern and, and distill the value out of that, the expectations on that are actually rising. So you almost have a pull from opposite directions. Mm -hmm. So so in you know maybe in in shorthand, your your point of view would be that the capabilities around metadata, around lineage, and, and in a more technical level around a, a sort of core edge and agent-based architecture are going to be, you know, very significant, are significant now and will increase in significant over the, you know, the medium and probably the long term. Is that a fair summary? It is. I mean, it really what I'm in, in the terms of your analogy, it's the importance of that information kiosk. Right. Yeah. If you go to the mall and you need the information center to tell you where the stores are, that's yep. essentially, you know, what our metadata capabilities and the importance of that are. You're not just going to naturally know where all those stores are, right? You have to go to some sort of place to get the map of where it is and find out what types of things are available. And that's really what, you know, a, a really solid uh, data catalog can help you with that really strong data lineage information. And then, you know, being able to measure quality of that data on the edge, like being able to bring all that together in a way that allows a user to find what they need without having to move all the data, I think that is going to be a tremendous value and also potentially some cost saving, right? There is a cost in bringing everything together into a central store to running that department store. That's expensive. So That's if you can leave data where it is and simply build a really good you know, mapping system to understand it, I think that's going to also reduce some of the heavy burden of moving data around. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, and so there's one, and of course, you know, you can, to some extent, you can bulletproof this technically, but in reality, every time you move something, you're introducing a new failure point, right? Yeah. So integrations, replication, they're, 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 they're always a pain. I mean, I think the other thing back to the, the, you know, where we started around the business value, just again, simplistically, but it's an important point. You know, as I'm trying to do machine learning, AI, I want more raw materials for that engine. So the more data sources that I can bring in, but they, but you can't just bring anything in and have, you know, sort of no governance and no adjudication or the outputs of your models turn out to be a mess and turn out to be useless. So that underlying concept of, you know, more distributed agent base, but then with that framework of data quality and, and governance around it, I think is a really, really key trend to look at. I, I, I love that, uh, that concept. Um, so maybe, um, th I think there's one more area that I'd, I'd love to get your insight on, which is around um, talent and leadership. And in, in talking with uh, 
all kinds of executives, but but CIOs and CDOs in particular, we hear a lot about the the talent crisis. So do, do you feel? And I'll just sort of throw a few dimensions I normally look at, and then I'd love to hear you know your perspective. Do we have a talent? pipeline crisis? Like, are we on sort of a collision course where there's all this demand and then not enough people to meet it? And then secondly, and perhaps in a related way, what's your view on how we're doing from uh, an overall diversity and a gender diversity standpoint? Do you feel like we've gotten better as an industry in the last five years or are we sort of treading water? Uh, what's your perspective on, on all of that? Yeah, I'll answer your last question first and that I think we are in many ways treading water. Um, I feel like we made a really good leap in the, in, in the data industry and in the technology industry, you know, five, 10 years ago, I think we did a good job really pushing there. And I, I see a little bit of a tapering and, you know, it's just my, my perspective. Others may have a differing opinion, but I wouldn't call it a crisis, but I feel like there's one maybe on the horizon. Yeah. Um, I do think it's our job um, as, you know, data leaders, as technology leaders to be qualifying the workforce. Um, so that's an area that I'm, I'm very passionate about and making sure that we have really given everyone, um, every student, the opportunity to be exposed to computer science, to STEM, to, you know, different different types of careers. Um, I, I serve on the Iowa Governor's STEM Advisory Council and co-chair the um, Career Exploration Working Group, which is aimed at solving that gap um, here in the state of Iowa. And so there is a, I think, a significant burden for us to bear to make sure that we're not just looking for these people, but we're actually helping them to become educated and qualified to really power the future. There's not going to be less data to manage in the future. We know that that is only that. exponentially yeah. increasing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we need to make sure that we're investing now in qualifying individuals, um, especially those if we feel like we're not getting the diverse talent that we need to have the proper innovation. We know from, I think, many studies that to have best innovation, you need diverse experience, you need diverse backgrounds at the table. And if we're not finding that in our talent pools, we need to do something about it. We can't just wait for that to magically happen. Thank you for sharing that. And and um, you know, for for the record, I agree. I I always I almost always ask this question, and I've yet to find any leader um, who's like, "Oh, we're doing awesome. Don't worry about it." <laughs> um, so I, you know, I I I I would tend to agree that we've got, you know, maybe it's not. Um, you know, an immediately looming crisis, but that we've still got structural issues that, that we need to, to deal with. Just, I, I had a thought, um, kind of connecting this back to the change management that we talked about, where you have a lot of data professionals who, in a sense, I, I believe suffer from over-specialization and, and really have trouble connecting um, dots on the business side. You know, I wonder, I, I've, I've had some success over my career in, in um, importing talent from non-traditional sources. So, you know, I mean, uh, people who work in, you know, even in like PR in a technical field or people who are in, you know, an ERP speak will be called functional people and turning them over, coaching them into, technical people over time and training people in some of that management 
um, consulting, uh, you know, uh, uh, those management consulting capabilities. I, I think that's, you know, potentially an interesting area to focus on. The other uh, related question I was going to ask you, and this sort of goes to, to talent sourcing. If you look at this problem overall, do you have a perspective on kind of buy versus build, it, it, you know, with relate in, 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 uh, in the context of technology outsourcing, right? So I think every, you know, people don't talk about it that much, but in reality, every tech company in the world has got subcontractors and sub subcontractors and specialists working in different things. I wonder, and I'm just kind of thinking out loud on this, you know, does that create an opportunity for some fertile ground for, for recruiting, um, you know, or any other sort of thoughts you have on that, um, in the talent space, like buy versus make versus outsource? I mean, I think we have to be creative in how we get things done in this space because there is not, you know, there's not a, a pipeline of talent that is rich and full and to the extent that we would like it to be. So in my opinion, we have to be looking broadly. What are you really looking for in a data professional? Are you looking for someone that's coming out with a PhD in computer science? Is that really necessary? Or is there something that you can do to train them and give them on the job experience and, or, you know, do some sort of like shadowing or rotation type programs, whether it's from the business or even within our own data teams. Think about the disparate skill sets that you have between like a data strategist or a data quality expert or a computer scientist, right? And just thinking about, you know, how do you career path people through those different disciplines and give them that broader perspective? I do think we have to be thinking outside of the box and that, you know, do you, do you really need someone with a college degree or is on the job training or some sort of trade school sufficient? Um, I think that when you kind of look outside of maybe the norm, you can get some really different mindsets, different talents, different skill sets. Maybe someone who just has a high aptitude to learn is a great person to get into the data space. So, you know, I just think we have to be a little bit more open-minded as far as where we're sourcing things from, as far as talent, tools, technologies, and just applying them in, in you know, new and interesting ways. Um, so back to your question about build versus buy. I mean, it depends. I wish I could give you a, you know, a more specific um, answer, but I think we have to really look at what are we trying to accomplish? What are the criteria to get there? And is our old way of thinking really appropriate given the way that you know, companies and, and needs are evolving? I think those are great points. And I agree. You know, it's interesting. I just have this observation. If you, it, it, I have it, it's perhaps a generalization, but I think it's, it's at least a worthwhile thought experiment. A lot of the folks I've worked with in my career who have been superstars at one thing or another are people who are cross-functional. So I think this idea of, of, you know, as leaders working on that change management, but also promoting some non-traditional movements is, is really important. And then your, your other insight I, I love, we, um, we sponsor an organization in Philadelphia called Tech Impact that essentially takes at-risk college-age young adults and gives them technology training to sort of leapfrog them. And, and they're not, you know, they, they may or may not end up with an associate degree. They don't have a bachelor's degree, but it's a great starting point. And there's some, uh, the organization has been around for quite a while. Uh, and a, a friend of mine is on the board of it. There's some phenomenal success stories for, you know, a, a young man who was literally working outside the Philadelphia Museum of Art part-time in a hot dog cart, you know, and ended up running a technology support organization after like six or seven years. So I, I think that, 
you know, that, that non-traditional talent sourcing and, and thinking about, you know, I love it when we can bring people in from our partners and, you know, I don't always love it when we send them out to our partners, but if it's a, a, the right thing for them personally, I always support it, uh, you know, from what we want to do from a, an industry development standpoint. Well, you know, Wendy, I, I normally ask people for a prediction, but I think you already gave me such a good one around, uh, you know, data centralization um, and, and sort of being more enlightened about that and thinking about that that agent-based and distributed architecture that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say that's a prediction um, and we should really all pay attention to that. Um, just to you know, to quickly uh, summarize, I, I love the conversation about um, business outcomes and about growth, and I really love the example of tying that back to something that's commercially tangible from a growth standpoint, like your customer renewal, um, not just efficiency. Uh, I love the conversation about change management and you know talent, and and let's pay attention to the the, the pipeline crisis and continue to focus the the impending, I'll say. Um, and continue to focus on diversity and inclusion. Um, so that's sort of my uh, my quick uh, summary of a terrific conversation. Any um, closing thoughts or anything you'd, you'd like to add for the uh, for the audience? Oh, just one thing for our fellow data professionals. I would say don't like don't be afraid to roll up your sleeves and try to understand your business. Uh, I think that's an area where we sometimes shortchange ourselves and thinking like how the business has that and we can stay over here in our little data world and not get real clear on what the business outcomes that are important to our company are. I think we have to break that mold and really be understanding and being experts in our businesses and really strengthening that business acumen. So if there's one thing for our fellow data professionals to gleam away from um, you know, just what we should be working on as far as building our own skill sets. I think really becoming experts in our various businesses is very important and often overlooked. I I, I could not agree more. And I think that's a, that's a perfect um, landing spot. Uh, thank you so much. I, I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Terrific to meet you. And uh, thanks so much again for joining me today. Of course, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Chris.